0: You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hello, hello, welcome back to Accounted For. Happy Wednesday, everyone. This is the podcast part of OMD Ventures which is a ecosystem that I created to be a place where people can be inspired to be unconventional in their life as well as their career. And in the respective careers, if you'd like to ask questions regarding anything related to your own career journey or my own, please reach out to the in the contact page as I'm looking to do more AMA episodes and if you'd also like to have potentially like a deeper conversation with me where, I don't know, maybe you, you wanna get advice or you just want me to pepper you with questions, maybe that's what you want, please look up how you can do that in the contact page as well. You can just go to the website at omdventures.com and there is a contact link there. I think it's called Reach Out. Separately, the website URL should be omdventures contact if you want something direct. Also, subscribe to the newsletter that I put out every week to be in the loop. The newsletter continuously evolved, and now on top of keeping you up to date with all the weekly content, like my essay, the podcasts, and the weekly learnings, I also exclusively write about what happened in the week in regards to my journey, and try to be as more detailed in terms of the systematic updates I have in my life, as well as the developments with the platform itself. So if you'd like to follow along on the journey, uh, it's a little narcissistic of me, but if you're curious, definitely sign up for the newsletter. Okay, so today's guest is Das Dasgupta. He is the President and CEO at Capital Lending Center, CLC for short, that's what we will refer to continuously in the intro. CLC is a brokerage house for mortgage brokers in Canada that grew from just six people in 2017 when Shuba started with his partner Kendall to more than 116, I believe, in 2019. And, you know, I'm sure you guessed it, it is one of the fastest growing mortgage brokers in the country. And when Shuba and his partner Kendall started CLC, they wanted it to be a new kind of mortgage brokerage house, one they wish they had when they first started she was been in the mortgage industry for more than 10 years and before this part of his career he actually started a transportation logistics business with a friend right out of high school and so he entered this old trucking business and this whole kind of old archaic industry with wise wide wide open as his 18 year old and built a business that would eventually be transporting toys made in toronto all the way down to disney world in florida and he would even make these trips himself as well and in our chat we go through we just talked through Shiba's entire entrepreneurial journey from the trucking company to the mortgage company and what it's just like to be in these two archaic industries one he conformed into for example in the trucking industry and one he's constantly trying to change right now with his new current mortgage company and we also talk about the lessons he had from starting the different businesses and how two really big pivotal moments in his life involving the first one involving his grandmother and the second one involving his mother really altered his career trajectory as well as how it formed his current passion for philanthropy and this has actually been I think a very interesting conversation where we actually look at industries that aren't really I think in the hot topic button in the this modern days world of high fast growing tech companies but industries that I think majorly impact the lives of many Canadians and so this was very informative for me personally and a conversation I really enjoyed so please tune in for our conversation with Shiba. Hey everyone, welcome back to Accounted For. Today on the podcast, we have Shiba Dasgupta. Hey Shubha, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, how are you Daniel? Thanks so much for having us. No, no problem. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, Shiba here is the President and CEO of Capital Lending Center and in short we'll call it CLC throughout the conversation. And so, you should for the audience members who may not be familiar with your company,
1: what do you guys do? You know, what kind of company is CLC? Yeah, so CLC, Capital Lending Center, is actually one of the fastest growing mortgage networks in Canada today. Um, we started January 1st, 2017, with six mortgage agents. We have over 160 today um, represented across three different brands. Essentially, what we are is we're the first data driven mortgage brokerage in Canada, and we harness the power of data and analytics on delivering a higher level of service to both our mortgage agents and in turn as well to their referral partners and customers. So essentially how um, we differentiate ourselves from our competitors is that we are a central servicing hub for mortgage agents. So mortgage agents that work um, with our organization are able to harness from various departments such as deal processing, um, document collection, as well as marketing, um, data analytics, um, you know, everything down to compliance and payroll. So we support them in their growth and in their careers. And, you know, we're having a tremendous ride so far.
0: Wow. Okay. And so for for me, to like wrap my head around bed and also for like my audience members who may not be very familiar with the mortgage industry, because mm-hmm. unless you start buying a house, it's yeah. still a very foreign industry for us. So when I first type like mortgages in Google, all the first thing that pops up is like Rate Hub. And I'm guessing Rate Hub, their business model is telling me what rates are pop, like out there. But... Your business is one where you actually have the agents and they are the ones that that actually like be selling me the mortgages.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So kind of to take you through that workflow and for your audience, um, when you're looking for a mortgage in Canada, there's kind of two main places where Canadians would end up Um, either through one of the major banks um, like, you know, Royal Bank, Scotia, BMO, or you would go on the broker side um what the benefits are of the broker side is they have access to a large variety of canadian mortgage lenders such as the major banks like td and scotia but as well as many other um, leading mortgage lenders like mcap first national street capital merix um, and even down to like alternative lenders like equitable bank home trust and even private lenders and mix as we like to call them so when a um Canadian is looking for a home today and if they Google like mortgages, you end up at like a site called Rate Hub for example um, which is a rate comparison site. When you click on one of those rates you will be directed to then a mortgage agent or a mortgage broker Mm -hmm. Um, and those mortgage agents and brokers are going to be able to help facilitate that transaction for you, determine what options are best suited for your needs, um, really go over kind of budgeting, cost analysis, all that kind of stuff and you know, find the best product for you. So those Mortgage agents and brokers work for what is called a brokerage, um, uh, essentially a house that um, supports and facilitates everything that a mortgage agent or broker could require. And that's what the Capital Lending Center Network is. Gotcha. And
0: so the difference between you, CLC, and other mortgage brokerage houses is that you also do a lot of like the back-end kind of systematic functions that help under-mortgage agents, like doing, helping with marketing, training them and going through stuff that another brokerage might not do.
1: Absolutely, and, and that's really our main focus, right? So we have three main pillars within our organization when it was built, um, and that's support, training, and culture. So we work very heavily to create you know different facets of those pillars, different subsections of those pillars, which in turn provide value to our agents. We had a we had a very clear vision when we started this company, and our vision statement is um, that the CLC network is here to provide mortgage agents and brokers um, with the tools, systems, and support that they need to provide their referral partners and clients with a seamless customer experience. And essentially, those three pillars go to facilitating all of that.
0: Gotcha, and this still this idea of having like a mortgage broker, like you know, we also have insurance brokers. But I was actually in a project back when as a consultant where. We created a company where we can actually buy insurance direct now without actually having to go to a broker. Why is it that um, like this kind of stuff doesn't exist yet for mortgages? Do you see it ever coming? And
1: yeah, great question. And I mean, you know, that's that's kind of where our company sets ourselves apart, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we believe in, in the crawl walk run mentality. Um, you know, which is often introduced in the technology world. And sometimes what happens is that tech goes from crawl to run. Um, you know, they'll, they'll introduce something very rapidly into the environment. And there's a lot of things that needed to happen prior to that. And consumer mindset is really one of the most important ones, right? Changing people's idea, um, changing people's behavior and changing people's patterns. So, you know, could that be in the future? Definitely, you know, we're we're one of the leaders in driving some of the technology that's going to be able to deliver some more Um, integrated solutions for customers directly and being able to take them through the process but at the end of the day one of the main things that we've learned is that this is a very large transaction for customers and that customer mindset's just not there yet where they feel fully comfortable in making such a large decision without having any professional guidance um Even if it's from like a management perspective of having an expert just behind the scenes to be able to guide you, direct you, and provide you some insights into what you're exactly choosing. There's so many variables when selecting a mortgage. Um, You know, even mortgage agents and brokers get confused sometimes. There's, you know, thousands of products available over Canada. Each one of them come with different rates, different criteria, different qualification methods. Um, What that means for the customer is you don't know exactly what you can qualify for Mm -hmm. unless you have access to all these products. Um, and then each one of them comes with different terms and conditions. So you may have different prepayment penalties or different exit costs. Um, so, really looking at all of these options and designing out what best suits a customer's needs is the benefit of a mortgage agent or a mortgage specialist.
0: Oh, because it gets very customized for like exactly what I need. And there's a lot of leeway. And very I, customized oh. and a lot
1: of leeway. Like, you know, it's very rare that we'll ever say no to a customer. It's really just, you know, this is what your options are, right? Mm-hmm. So, based on your circumstance, you know, this is what what you need to do for a down payment and this is what your interest rate is going to look like you know we'll we'll go over what kind of um their short, medium and long term plans are that'll help design out what type of mortgage term we choose, you know, what type of functions and features that mortgage has like mortgages have uh, a function called portability, which means that if you're thinking that you're going to move within the term of that mortgage, that may be a function that's important to you because that allows you to take that mortgage with you to the next property without incurring any additional costs. So all these little nuances are the things that make mortgages a little bit complicated and complex um, and scary borrowers right so you know to go back to your original question you know can it ever get to the borrower 100% it can you know we need companies um, and we need leaders in our industry that are driving that forward um, that believe in innovation that believe in evolution and that believe in change and you know those leaders are definitely starting to come out of the woodwork
0: and Right now, for CLC, how many how many mortgages have you guys uh, pro- processed so far?
1: Yeah, it? so um, so since inception, um, in two thousand and seventeen, we're just about on pace to hit about a billion dollars in sales by the end of this year. Wow. So yeah, we'll close out this year, um, since inception with about you know nine hundred and eighty to about a billion dollars in sales. Wow! Congratulations! Thank that's, you. That's very big. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, we're working hard, right? We, <laughs> you know, we really want to. Um, we really want to make it a service first type of environment, right? We want to make it so that the customers getting what they deserve and our sales force is getting what they require in order to succeed. And, you know, we found that there was a lot of gaps and a lot of voids in the mortgage industry. I've been in the business for about 12 years. And, you know, when my partner Kendall and I set out to create this, it was really about filling those gaps and voids because, you know, the smoother we can make the process for our sales force, the smoother they can make the process for the customer. Mm-hmm.
0: And so you, you also kind of quietly mentioned that you were in this industry for about 12 years, but I kind of want to take it back even further to maybe, you know, your early days uh, as, you know, growing up here. Yeah. Did you grow up in Toronto? Yeah. Born, hometown?
1: Born and raised in Toronto. I was yeah. born at uh, East York General Hospital. Okay. Uh, you know, my parents used to live at Don Mills in Eglinton at the time, you know, very early in my life, I think I was less than one years old. We moved to Scarborough, and uh, that's where I grew up. So I grew up in the Midland and Finch area in, of Scarborough.
0: Okay, and so then growing up was like, was real estate a very big thing in your family? Like growing up, was it always like a um, conversation topic?
1: No, not at all. My <laughs> my dad was actually an accountant. Really? Uh, yeah, my mom. Uh, my mom still does today. Works in the uh, medical field as a medical uh, administrator. Mm. Um, she works at Sunnybrook Hospital. But um, real estate wasn't a hot topic of conversation, so to speak. Um, My dad actually did get his real estate license, though, um, you know, when I was young. Um, I think it was more of a hobby to him. He didn't really practice it. And and it wasn't like he was selling tons and tons of properties or anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, the love of real estate and the passion of real estate, I think I really developed it later in life, Um, seeing it as a, a, a really good vehicle. To help Canadians build wealth. And I mean, home ownership, to be honest, is just something that's so important. And uh, one of the things that drew me to real estate was that um, every Canadian deserves to have a roof over their head. And a home is different things to different people. But at the end of the day, a home is comfort, a home is security. A home is a place where you know families raise their kids, and they have backyards that they can play in, and roads where they can learn to ride their bikes. So, a home means so many things to Canadians, and I wanted to be a part of that, and I really wanted to be a part of um, something so big in their lives.
0: How how did this narrative of like, the importance of home kind of get distilled into you?
1: Um. I grew up in a very safe environment, right? I had my, my parents there, and I also grew up with my grandmother. Um, so my grandmother was living with us from the day I was born, and a huge part of raising me. You know, she raised me from the age of zero to 14 years until she passed away. And after she passed away, I think I realized and um, began to understand the importance of the environment that they had created for me. That safety, that security, that comfort of knowing that whatever happens outside the doors, when I come back home, that was a space that I can be safe in, and and I can discuss things and talk about things and learn kind of freely. So, um, you know, and it's it's never something that you think about when it's leading you into a career, but when you know when I began exploring what the different options were and and where I was going to go next in my career and you know came across the mortgage industry you know that was definitely a driving factor in my decision mm-hmm. of knowing how important homes are and and what they can mean to somebody's life
0: and before you entered the mortgage business you first started in logistics like transportation and logistics at was it the age of 20 yeah so when you first started your company transport yeah. trends
1: yeah started my first company uh very young it was a logistics and transportation company so uh, we had um a couple of trucks that were doing um Uh, North American contracts, like uh, our biggest contract was actually in Disney World, so we used to ship um, cookies from Ontario to Florida to the Disney World, and we used to pick up citrus fruit from Florida and bring it back to Ontario. We also had a uh, service that was providing logistical support for the Zeller's outlets um, here in Southern Ontario, so we would pick up from their main distribution center and basically take all of Zeller's products within their stores in, you know, Niagara region and all around the Golden Horseshoe. So Ran that business for a few years. That's a tough business. <laughs> that's a tough business, especially at a young age. Uh, I wasn't ready for a lot of the uh, the politics and uh, a lot of the pressures of, of that type of a uh, uh, high-pressure industry. So um, definitely, you know, saw that through as far as I could until about the age of 27. And that's when I exited, sold that to uh, to the partner that I was running it with and uh, began looking for my next adventure.
0: And what, what kind of... Uh the pressure cooker like politics situation kind of comes to mind quickly when you when you try to reminisce um, you know
1: what type. like it's it's a there's not a lot of contracts up for grabs right so so companies are after those contracts like com- companies um like you know that 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 are in the business of deliveries or that needs products to be delivered, there's almost like this small little segment of people that are after the same bid. So you'll see the same people time and time again. And, you know, we had no longevity and no experience and no connections um, and no capital, right? We were really young and and we just didn't have the money backing us. And, you know, we were up against massive companies like Schneider's, which is like a global leader in that space. And, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to compete when they got a satellite up in space that tracks product and and here we are a couple 20 year olds saying no we want to make this happen (laughs) right so it was definitely an experience um definitely part of the journey and uh, definitely um, a lot of important lessons learned that got me to where i am
0: what was uh, a big lesson that sticks with you from that time
1: um never stop was really one of the big ones right the amount of doors that that you get slammed on your face um, that early in your life can either discourage you or it can encourage you and uh, I found that it really encouraged me right to, to get turned down and to get um, to hear no after no after no um, you know eventually when you hear that yes it taught me that there is light at the end of the tunnel and it taught me that you know it's not important how many times you hear the word no it's all about when you hear that yes right Mm. so even as it brought me into the mortgage business and and throughout my entire life personally um you know the "nos" don't affect me as much um definitely helped me get that thicker skin
0: and you mentioned how you and your partner you know a couple 20 year olds in this kind of trucking logistics business and i actually had one of my past guests, he's an entrepreneur whose entire family is actually in the trucking business. So he started a company that tracks logistics for trucking companies. And when I was talking to him, he was telling me about how, yeah, like it's, you know, they're kind of more conservative. They tend to be of an older age and they have a way of doing things. And so I can only imagine, yeah, like two 20 year old kids trying to
1: do this trucking company. There'd be
0: a lot of uh, obstacles
1: in the way. You know, like, um, you're absolutely right. It's 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 one of those industries that's almost left been left unchanged, right? You, you you look at it and it's the same as it was, you know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, right? And it's changing today, um, with the introduction of technology and digitization and everything. However, you know, you asked what I, what lessons I learned from that. Um, the mortgage industry is very similar, and you know, when we got into the mortgage industry. You know, we, we saw and as we kind of took our journeys, both my partner and I, early in our careers, we began to see that, you know, why are we still doing things the same way we were 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, right? Why haven't those things changed and evolved and, and innovated? So when we began our company, it was really, you know, part of that, right? And one of our mottos is changes here. And we are driving forward a lot of that positive change that's required in our industry today in order to, you know, crawl, walk, and run. You know, we want to get to that run stage where our industry is now looked at as a, as a leader in that environment, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it's, it, you're right. I, I guess, like, as you connected, it, there's definitely this, you know, this focus of going into this boring old industry and working within it and noticing the change and trying to become the change. And so, but how did when you started... How did you even see the light in terms of the the transportation industry? Like how did that even come up to you? Your 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 parents weren't in no. that business. What 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 propelled you and your partner to even like start a business there? Like did you and I, I think you didn't go to university, right? You just went straight into that S- business straight from in, high school? Yeah.
1: Straight in. I did post secondary after that. Um you know, during it and after it actually. Right. But um, what got me into it was my partner actually. I'm I'm I wouldn't say I'm super impulsive, but I'm pretty impulsive. Yeah, Um, You know, it doesn't take a lot to convince me. If I see that there's opportunity, I'll, I'll process it and I'll make the decision fairly quickly. So at the time, you know, my old business partner on that company, you know, brought it to my attention. He's like, listen, there's a lot of opportunity in this business, right? Goods always need to be shipped. Um, you know, customers always need to be serviced and, and product is endless, right? And, you know, we, we did look at some of the trends that were happening and we did look at the fact that, you know, the industry or, you know, what we had thought with the introduction at the time of, of Google and, and eBay and all that kind of stuff that, you know, we, we may lead into a more delivery based economy, right? So this type of a service could be of great value, not only today, but tomorrow. So... Yeah, it was literally just someone bring it to the attention, doing the market analysis and saying, let's do it.
0: Oh, and how did your parents take that? Um,
1: you know, I come from a very um old fashioned, um old school type of uh, Asian background. Right. So school is definitely priority. Education is definitely priority. So they did have their concerns about, you know, do you really want to get it right into the workforce today? Like, don't you want to take the time and go through the proper course of education and, and, um, you know, just the way that it's always been done, right? But as you can see, and as you can begin to hear, I'm never a the way that it's always been done type of a person, right? I I think that the world doesn't need to be done in the same order or in the same process or in the same methodology as it was in the past, right? And uh, one of the things that I've actually talked to my mom about and my dad is that, you know, parents, and I'm a parent now of two small children, and I hope that the same thing doesn't happen to me, but parents will use their life experiences to pass on to their children. Yet they're using experiences from a different generation, right? So different experiences, different time, different ideas, different methodologies, different beliefs. For my parents, it was even different location. They grew up and they were born and raised in India. So you can't always take those beliefs and apply them to where they are today. Um, I think what's important is that adaptation, right? Being able to use the core values, which I don't think that I've ever lost. You know, my morals, my ethics, and my values are what's been instilled in me from my family from the day I was born, but applying it into the world as it is today, right? You know, especially for our parents, you know, with the massive digitization that we've experienced over our lifetime, you know, we're comparing apples to oranges, right? Like it's two different worlds. And, And I don't think that everything has to happen the way that it used to
0: mm-hmm. oh definitely yeah definitely and in terms of then actually starting the business like trucking it I, I didn't even know that someone actually drove a truck from toronto all the way down to florida to mm-hmm. make that long drive and so were you the one actually driving the truck or were, what role did you play like within the company was it actually acquiring the trust and having hiring the drivers and being the person behind doing the whole logistics like what was it
1: yeah so so my role essentially was more um sales marketing and management so you're absolutely right i used to more acquire the contracts uh, manage the contracts make sure that they were getting um you know our service levels were being met and and we were accommodating everything that they needed um hiring the drivers and making sure that the routes and everything were planned and tracked accordingly but uh, everybody in our company had to have a license I was no different. So I did have my uh, AZ license um, at the time. And when we had to, we would definitely get behind the wheel. So I've done that trip a couple of times, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I used to actually ride it with, uh, with our drivers. And I would have to go down monthly to reconcile the accounts and everything like that. So instead of going down on my own or flying down or anything, I would go down on one of the routes with our driver, make it a road trip almost. And it's, uh, it's a pretty fun trip, you know.
0: How long is that drive?
1: Um, from Toronto to Florida um, to where we were going is about 24 hours straight.
0: 24 hours straight? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm guessing you guys take breaks in between?
1: Uh, so trucks have beds, truck have fridges, trucks have everything today. So you sleep in the back and somebody else takes the wheel, right? Wow. Yeah. So they keep a logbook. Um, and, and, you know, it's funny. That's, that's one of the archaic uh, things of, you know, back then when I was in it. You know, you have to track this logbook of how long you're driving for consecutively, how long you're sleeping for. And, you know, you have to present that to the ministry, um, you know, on request, right, to show them that you're not driving over your hours or anything like that. Um, you know, and, and, and those are just some of the things that, I, you know, when I look back and I reflect now that we're having this conversation, like, man, I could have changed that. We could have done that on like an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> or, you know, have built some kind of app for that. And I'm sure there is today, but there definitely wasn't when I was in it. So
0: did you try to like make changes within it like when you saw it? Like, did you try to implement something completely different?
1: Um, at that time, probably not, I would say. I think yeah. um, I was kind of just getting my footing in, right. into kind of my life and, and where you know I fit into the workplace and, and all that kind of stuff. So I was never that bold as to at a young age kind of think that I knew it all. And even in the mortgage business. Um, you know, as, as I just kind of said, I've been in this business for 12 years. My partner has been in this business for, um, almost 10 and we started this company two years ago, right? So we took our time in, in learning the business, understanding it, you know, never being as bold as to say like, I'm going to come in and fix what's, you know, broken without even realizing something's not broken. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm very patient and pragmatic from that standpoint.
0: And this journey, so you... You had the trucking company and then you sold it about like seven years after operating what what made you want to transition to a different stage of your life
1: you know what it, it really wasn't for me right it was uh, it was one of those things that i started um very early in life and um like i mentioned i'm somewhat impulsive so i kind of jumped into it without really thinking about it too much and You know, I don't regret it at all. A lot of great experiences, a big part of the journey as to where I am today. But I realized partway through that it just wasn't for me. This is definitely where um, I didn't see my life. I didn't see this transforming my life and being a part of, you know, the future of it, right? I'm very big on um, contributing back to society, making change, implementing change, but more importantly, making a positive impact on the world and the people around me. I didn't see that industry as a vehicle to be able to allow me to do that. Whereas, um, you know, I wanted to look for kind of what that next thing was, where I can kind of create something that could have an impact on people.
0: And that uh, from that decision, it took you to London in the UK. Why London?
1: Um, I was just exploring some stuff out there yeah. you know Europe is obviously a, a hub of the world right London is a big hub globally so I wanted to see what was available you know um, I think sometimes what I learned from that part of my life was that um, growing up in Toronto and being in Toronto my whole life um, you realize that there's a whole other world outside of Toronto right and, and this world is global and economy is global. And there's different ways people do business. There's different ideologies. There's different thinkings. There's different strategies. And a lot of these other places are either behind or ahead of us, right? So seeing it from the light of, of um, seeing all industry, and I mean, like, just business in general, from the light of, I think, London, and from the eyes of London, really helped me change, you know, kind of my outlook on everything, right? Because mm-hmm. I was so... Um, I don't know if you want to call it like pigeonholed or I had this kind of tunnel vision because I was only here. I was here for so long. Right. And um, London really opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, anything is possible. And there's a lot of different ways of, of building business. There's a lot of different ways of enacting change in this world. Did you try to
0: start companies while you were in London? Um,
1: Yeah, well, I was looking and exploring at what opportunities kind of they had, Um, you know, kind of seeing, you know, how their banking sector worked, how their finance sector worked, um, because they are a global finance leader. Um, You know, a lot of um, countries have banking and stuff that's held out of London. So I was... More exploring, right? More learning and more kind of just absorbing what was out there. And, you know, definitely with the eyes open in terms of opportunity, right? So whether there was opportunity or there wasn't, turned out for me there wasn't. Um, I had my eyes peeled on it, but I didn't want to just make it about opportunity. I wanted to also learn while I was there.
0: So did these cold email people have like a lot of curiosity conversations? Is that how you went about it? Yeah,
1: you know what? Just like all business, I think you, you get introduced introduced to one person, two people, three people, and then that kind of snowballs, right? So yeah, I reached out to a few people. I got connected to a few people. So I didn't go out blindly. I went connected to a couple of people um, from the early stages. And then... Um, you know, met some people, they introduced me to some other people, got a talking, you know, we just started a conversation, I began learning about their businesses and what they're doing. I met a lot of people like from other countries, lots of people from other countries that moved to London to start business, um, import, export, they were doing like more like global type stuff, right? Because London was that central hub that connects kind of the Eastern world to the Western world. So yeah, it was incredible experience.
0: Hmm. And so then you came back from London to Toronto, and you looked. I think the business you looked at was biodegradable packaging. Yeah, sourcing it from India. Yeah, was was that an influence from the global business you saw in London?
1: Um, so that was yeah you know some things that I learned out in London. Um, one of the things that I learned out in London was to watch trends, right? Watch trends very carefully, like globally, not just in your specific segment, right? So I began watching trends, and the trends were leading globally to kind of the sustainable lifestyle, right? You know, we were leading towards, um, you know, let's let's get rid of plastic, let's get rid of packaging, let's let's start creating a stronger world and a better world for the next generation. Um, and that was something that yet hadn't trickled into Canada yet, right? It was, it was kind of a global influence at the time. So when I came back and I began exploring that option, you know, it was right just before the time that, uh, I don't know if you remember, when the city of Toronto banned plastic bags, right? So it, it, it hit me at that moment, right? Because we were, we were exploring this option and then this gets introduced. So I'm like, it's here right the time is here so yeah we began looking at biodegradable packaging and you know sourcing it from India my family still lives in India Um, you know my mother my father and my brother are the only ones here in Canada so did have resources and contacts over there so began looking at that as an opportunity and um, you know again it was now now everything at this point forward is based on that impact and what kind of impact can I have on the world right? So, you know, I, I looked at this opportunity and said to myself, yeah, this is something I can see myself doing because I'm having a positive impact. I'm creating change. Um, I'm leaving the world a better place than when I got into it, right? And all of those things. So definitely looked at that um, as, as something that, that could be um, big in my life.
0: And when you, you constantly talked about the ability to see trends. And I think the way I would categorize trends as being in the two kind of different bucket there's a cyclical trend that a lot of people constantly see throughout global economies and then there's the secular trend where you it's a big change it's like the internet came Mm -hmm. things are not going to go backwards from there how do you what's your kind of process of seeing deciphering what's a cyclical one versus like a secular one
1: um yeah and that's a fantastic question right especially in the finance business because in the finance business we're always looking at the secular right you know we always talk about history will dictate the future and we always talk about here's the economic trends and here's the precursors that you can look for for recession or market crashes and all that kind of stuff right so um really how i look at that is business is always going to be secular life is always going to be secular there's always going to be kind of this circle that we're evolving in and transpiring in but in those circles or sorry in that circle sorry there's always going to be big points in in the world and in your life where we get those other trends that are just changing that are just dramatic right you know industrial revolution you know digital revolution like the internet revolution you know right now i would Personally, I have a word, and I don't know if other people use it, is the data revolution, right? So right now, we're, we're really harnessing the power of this data and, and what it means to people, what it means to the way that we live and all that kind of stuff. So when I look for those kind of opportunities, I really look at what, the, what can be done with it um and what can industries do to implement that to make improvements and to better the way that we do you know business the way that we live our lives even right so it's to me it's not always about business it's always been about improvement right about getting better getting better and getting better
0: mm-hmm. and then so w- while you're planning out this biodegradable company your mother ran into an accident and so you stopped pursuing that to take care of her, and then the opportunity ended up, I think, passing, and distributors picked different partners. Mm -hmm. What made you go down a different route into the mortgage industry instead of continue to try to find a way to make this biodegradable thing work?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it was was interesting um, because... that type of a change in your life has, has a massive impact, right? So, so what happened was, um, you know, midway through the process, I had a couple big contract um, negotiations lined up with, you know, some of the largest distributors in Canada. And uh, right before those meetings were set to take place, my mom was in a life-threatening car accident, and she was on life support for 18 days, she was in critical care for another 30 after that, so I had to make a decision to either be by my mom's side or, you know, focus on the business, and focus on a business that I wasn't focused on at the moment, right, because... Nothing else was in my mind other than, you know, my mom and and seeing her through this and being by her side through this. So I made the choice. And, you know, it's the right choice, which was to be by my mom's side, make sure that she was taken care of, make sure that she was OK. And um, after that moment happened, you know, the opportunity had passed by in terms of with the distributors and stuff. They obviously couldn't wait. Um, there was other people that were bidding on it and there was other people that were involved in this. So they went with another company. um to, to distribute across Canada. And why I didn't push forward on it was really the emotional impact of um, what I went through with my mother, right? It was, it was the fact of you come to a realization when you're about to lose something that important, is what I'm doing that important, right? Is what I'm doing really, you know, what I need to be doing. And I'm sure that I could have persevered and overcome that obstacle and driven forward and and got it done. But I decided to pivot at that moment because I didn't want to, um, how do I want to phrase this? I didn't want that to be the legacy starting with that moment in time, right? And I didn't want to always have to reflect back when I look back at my journey on that as the starting block right this this dark moment in my time in my life where my mom was you know fighting for her life in the hospital right so i kind of wanted to get that out of my life as fast as possible mm-hmm. and 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 start fresh start with a clean slate and and you know continue to do something positive but just from a totally different angle where, where, you know, I can look back now and reflect on it as to that's what got me into the mortgage business, so to speak, but I don't have to look back on it as that was a part of, you know, where I am today. Right. If right. that makes sense. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. That definitely. Like you want to comp- compartmentalize that yeah. kind of event out and look exactly. at it in a different light. I can exactly. And see that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but being the, mor- being like a mortgage broker, it seems like such a very different business model than, you know, the, logistics business or even you know if you were to go through like the biodegradable packaging route because a mortgage broker i think from our first conversation you told me it's 100% commissioned and Mm -hmm. you're practically like a self-employed person but Mm -hmm. you even though you might be part of a mortgage like brokerage house you're still kind of a company of one Um, whereas before you know you ran like a bigger company like one with employees and trucks and you're thinking about another play into like the packaging space. So it seems like a very kind of different kind of entrepreneurial venture. Mm-hmm. What pushed you to try this part out? like what? Because I feel like there would be a propensity to kind of go on to do, like, you know, start a company, hire people, have, like, a bigger operation.
1: Yeah, so... How it came about was, you know, interesting. You know, my mom got into her car accident. It was uh, Labor Day, um, you know, whatever, how many of her years ago. And, uh, you know, by the time she was out of hospital, let's say around November, um, that November actually, so my wife, I know exactly when it was because early November she got out of the hospital. My wife's birthday is November the 19th, my now wife. She was then my girlfriend, and I proposed to her on her birthday. Nice. So um, so I know the dates. And, and you know what, that was actually, you know... Uh, a part of that experience as well um you know just short story to digress you know I realized in that moment that my girlfriend was the one because, you know, I'm a family of two boys, me and my older brother. And when my mom was in hospital and my girlfriend would take the, the bus and the subway to Sunnybrook to see us every day after work and help bathe my mom and help shower my mom and help, you know, change her clothes and all that kind of stuff. I realized in that moment that, you know, she's the one. Right. And, and you know, so, I, I think so much good came out of so much bad. In that moment in my life right because i was able to you know get out of that business that maybe or maybe not would have been great for me i was able to start a life with my wife you know still have my mother uh, my family's closer than ever from that moment and it led me to the mortgage industry and how i got to the mortgage industry was that christmas that same christmas we were at one of my uh you know family friend's house for dinner And, you know, one of my, um, you know, distant cousins was there and he says that, um, you know, what are you going to do next? Like, what's next on the agenda? And I said, I don't know. He's like, why don't you get into the mortgage industry? He's the vice president of a large uh, mortgage company here in Toronto. And he's like, why don't you get into the mortgage industry? And, uh, you know, after that dinner, I went home, did some research on it. And uh, that January, I was signed up for the licensing program, which is about a year long post-grad certificate program. Did it at Seneca College. offered here through Seneca um, curriculums provided by University of British Columbia and uh, banged it out in a year and rest is history <laughs> <laughs> right that was about it what what
0: was the what was obvious then when you were like doing your research what made you go oh yeah what this was what
1: was obvious was the fact um, and that's when I really began discovering like the power of the home and, and the impacts that I can make on people's lives. Right. Really getting them into home ownership, And then you then you dive deeper and you're like, you know, how much wealth can be created through real estate? How much opportunity is there? I have three main pillars in my life that I live by my business, my family and my philanthropy and philanthropy was always a big part of my life, even back then so I realized that the mortgage channel was also a way for me to um, integrate philanthropy into it you know um, a part of every deal that I can close can get donated you know through the contacts and the customers that I'm meeting I can begin to raise awareness and get them involved in different charities and different philanthropic efforts right I can begin to have a larger voice that way right and you know you start with one customer turns to four turns to 16 turns into a career and now all of a sudden you got all these little microphones right and it's not just about mortgages my life never has been right but now you know i'm, I'm educating so many people on cancer research and what that ha- what that can do for people um, i'm educating people on other philanthropic efforts so it began to snowball into so much more and i think you know one of the suggestions that i'll always make or recommendations to, that i'll always make to um those that are coming up behind me is always try to integrate all of your life pillars into one, right? And figure out how they can each kind of work with one another to deliver the true value of your life. Because your life is not just one thing. It's not just, you know, playing hockey, um, work, and friends, right? How can all three of them integrate to each other? You know, do your do your hockey, does your hockey life become your friends? And I don't even play hockey, so I don't know why I'm using that as an analogy. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, you know, how does that fit within your work life, right? So all that kind of stuff. And, and the mortgage industry, from when I began analyzing it, gave me clear perspective that I can do that.
0: Mm, I love that. Like, I... An essay that I wrote of, I think probably end of last year that resonated with some people was the idea that people constantly, I think nowadays, you know, they're, now they're talking about like work-life balance and having compartmentalizing different aspects, but I made the argument that you actually want harmonization between work and life because mm-hmm. it's a holistic system. Like yeah. it's, it's like if you looked at your life as like a mechanical watch, you have all these intricate gears that have to work perfectly, syn- mm-hmm. synchronously, and... If you compartmentalize it, then they won't be talking to each other. Then they won't be able to properly tell the time. But exactly. you need everything to click properly, like family, health, exactly, work, everything. Exactly. And, and
1: and that's exactly what it is, right? I, I don't believe in the work like balance. I believe in that harmonization that you just talked about. And, you know, part of that has translated into the business, right? Because with that same um, ideology and concept, you're then able to not compartmentalize mentalize your business, right? So now we have our support department or our support pillar that integrates seamlessly with our training. They actually complement each other because part of our support system is training and education translates right over into training those two pillars combine create the culture of our organization and 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 who we are and what we stand for and then when you add in the technology piece and and the systems that we've developed and built over the last couple years you know all of that is essentially the glue that ties it all together and they all integrate within one another seamlessly right and i think that um you know sometimes you come across things by accident sometimes you come across things um by luck and I think that's possibly one of those things that I always knew I needed that harmony in my life and then that harmony then began to translate into business which led to success of the business because now the business isn't you know this department's not talking to this department or this area doesn't know what that area is doing everything is interconnected and everything is harmonized Mm -hmm. and using the the segue of success like I think you mentioned before
0: that 80% of mortgage brokers they, they don't go past two years or something. Mm-hmm. and you know you before you started CLC, you've been a mortgage broker for close to like a decade. Mm-hmm. so you were definitely in that 20% that went past the two year, probably even like a, even a smaller minority percentage. Why is it? Like, what happens in the first two years that makes it so hard? for people what was it like for you
1: yeah so I did it we've done a lot of research on this um, to try to really determine what it is and um, you know it comes to me it came down to kind of a couple different principles a couple very specific principles so the first is the barrier of entry to get into this industry Um, you know so after you know I just mentioned I did a one-year post-grad certificate that's what it used to be Today, it's about a two-week course, a licensing course, right? So, you know, where my course cost me a year of my life and about $12,000, you know, you can get it done now for two in two weeks and $400, right? No regrets. I mean, you obviously learn a lot more in a year, right, (laughs) than you can in two weeks. But um, that barrier of entry essentially means that people are entering this industry without necessarily the knowledge um, that's required in order to help them succeed, right? And I understand possibly why the decision was made to reduce it. You know, we have a large population here in Canada. We have um, a large immigration policy here. A lot of people are coming into Canada, a lot of people specifically coming into Toronto on a year-by-year basis. We needed people to be able to support them to get into housing, right? So we needed to increase the level of, or the amount of um, mortgage agents and mortgage brokers that could deliver this service to the population, to the communities, right? But in that, you now have a disservice happening. Because they're not being supported through their organizations, through their brokerages, and they're left to kind of figure it out on their own, right? And when you're left to figure it out on your own, a couple things are going to happen. And this is really what we discovered and, and where we got to with this. It's going to take you 6, 9, 12, maybe 18 months to learn about all of the policy products, rates, guidelines, sales, marketing, business development, um, relationship management, client management, systems, tools, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like, there's so many things that go into this business, but what's not happening during that time is you're not generating revenue, and if you get into any business or any career and you're not making money, unless you're sitting on, you know, a vast wealth, You're not going to make it past that hump, right? So I think one of the big reasons why 80% of mortgage agents don't make it past that second year is because of that principle. So what we essentially did was, um, and what one of our focuses was, is that, because I don't like that number. I don't like the fact that 80% of people enter a career where they're not going to be in two years. There's no point in you coming then. And we have a responsibility, I, th- I believe, as an industry, to make it clear that you know we want to see you succeed in this. It's not about yeah, give it a shot, and if you make it, you make it, and if you don't, you don't. It's if you tr- entrust our organization with something as valuable as your career, something as important as putting clothes on your back and food on your table. We have a responsibility to make sure that we can help see that through for you, right? So what we did is we basically shifted the order in which uh, mortgage agents are today learning, right? We began teaching them um, business development first, sales, marketing, relationships, revenue generating stuff, right? So that they can begin building their business, the foundation of their business. Um, And then we provide them a full support department to be able to manage the rest, right? So when you have a customer, you know, you have a full underwriting team that can process that application, submit it to the lender, get the approval, collect the correct documentation, full up, fulfill the conditions, even compliance and payroll, right? So that you get paid. So you have everything from the back end supporting you from that perspective. And now when you're entering this career, you can focus on the front, right? And we're seeing that tra- transform. You know, we're seeing that change. You know, we've I mentioned we started with six agents. We have over 160 today. You know, w- we haven't lost any. You know, and I know we're two and a half years in, so we don't have a a, a full metric yet of of the results of what we're doing, but we're not losing agents. Agents are succeeding. They're closing deals sooner in their careers. They're generating revenue. More importantly, they're happy, right? They're happy because now they're not struggling, and now they're not left to figure things out on their own and and, and kind of just flounder around in the water, right?
0: Wow, and so I'm guessing when you first started in the industry before, you know, Your company existed. Did you have to take care of the whole like support thing yourself? Taking care of like payroll compliance and doing that? Oh, 100%.
1: Yeah, Uh 100%. So, you know, I had to learn everything, right? I had to learn all of the different lender products. I mean, in Canada, most mortgage agents have access to about 40 lenders. Each one of those lenders have about, you know, between 10 to 20 products that they offer Right. So you're learning hundreds of mortgage products, all of the guidelines, I keep up to date on the rates and then figure out the business development side, the marketing, the social media management, you know, lead generation, you know, systems. Um, at one point, I was running four different CRMs just to upkeep my database um, at a cost of, you know, about four hundred dollars a month. Today, we provide that seamlessly to our agents right for free. That's our responsibility. And that's really, I think, you know, one of the main things that differentiates us from our competitors is that we believe that, we breathe that, that it is our responsibility to make sure that these agents have the tools, the support, and the guidance that they need to succeed, right? And the way the industry kind of is outside of our organization and You know, I love our industry, so don't take this as a negative. Um, You know, the industry does do a lot of positive work, and and, and there are a lot of great companies out there. But mortgage agents are left to be independent, right? They're left to, yeah, if you want to run that system, go ahead, get it, right? Pay for it. You want to do your business this way? Go ahead and get it, right? And without that, without a little bit of consistency, 80% of people won't make it right and mm-hmm. and that's just kind of where where we saw it
0: and you but you, you were a broker for a very long time before you started mm-hmm. this company and so you, know, you you could have stayed just been a broker what compelled you and Kendall to think about actually starting a company and taking that jump that you know, most people wouldn't dare to take it
1: like, was it's, it's it's all the things that i just mentioned it's yeah. it's you know what if if we don't stand up and and take a stand for all of these people and if we don't stand up in in believing what we're saying that the industry deserves better that mortgage agents deserve better people deserve opportunity then we're no different than everybody else right Mm -hmm. so was it a big risk yeah you know could we have made you know hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars annually like we gave up hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, and that's what we were both making in sales right and we gave that up to to nothing right we you know didn't draw salaries and you know we began investing in technology and training and all that kind of stuff but we felt so passionately that it was our responsibility to be able to provide that to the community to the industry listen this industry has given us a lot right and we don't take that for granted. You know, what other industry has allowed me an opportunity to make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, right? What, are, what other industry has allowed me an opportunity to um, raise millions of dollars a year for charity? I've raised over $1.5 million, of do- million dollars for, you know, various charities. Yeah. What other industry has allowed me an opportunity to have a voice and, and to lead others and to provide um, for my family? And I don't take any of that for granted, and neither does my partner, either does Kendall. So if you don't take that for granted it's our time now and our responsibility to give back and and that's what we're doing
0: and in terms of how the actual structure works for like a mortgage broker what percentage like does the commission come out to like in terms of like the total sale
1: yeah. So, I mean, generally speaking, on average, you can say like 1% of a mortgage amount is, is like a commission. Right. But then from there, there's a lot of associated costs. Right. Um, you know, you have to pay your brokerage um, that like that's how we earn revenue. You may have other systems and marketing costs and, you know, all of that kind of accumulated. Right. So depending how efficiently and effectively you can run your practice, you know, it really depends on what you take home. And that's kind of where one of our key points was that we don't want our agents to have to overspend on certain systems and tools that should be provided by their organization, right? Like if we know you need an email to succeed, then why should you have to go pay for an email? right? There's, there's a reason why you're working for us. So we will provide you an email. If we know you need a, a CRM to succeed, we will provide you the CRM, right? And, and in return, um, you know, it's back to that old adage, right? If you get what you pay for. And that's really w- one of the things that stood out to us. And, and one of the things that, that Kendall always says is, what are you paying your brokerage for? At our organization, everybody knows this is what we pay for, right? But um, we saw a trend where a lot of agents just don't know. I, I, I just, I pay them because that's how it is, right?
0: Right, yeah, because like it seems like if they didn't offer like these kinds of services that, you know, actually telling me for me, I'm just thinking, that sounds so obvious, but if that didn't exist, mm-hmm. what were people paying like brokerage houses for?
1: Access to lenders, essentially, yeah, right? Okay. So, so in the past, mortgage brokerages were that access point. You know, you have to meet certain volume criteria, volume targets, um, funding ratios, all that kind of stuff. So one person can't do it. So essentially, a brokerage was um, um, uh, an aggregate of all of these smaller business owners that then allowed them to meet those targets, and they're all working together, right? Again, you know, and this is just personal opinion. You can look at it as controversial statement or not. I feel that's the old way of business. The new way of business is providing processes and workflows and systems and ways that mortgage agents, salespeople and brokers can succeed, right? It's to me it's crazy that anybody would get into a business and uh, be left to their own accord, yet have to pay for some kind of access or connectivity too, right? It's if we're gonna pay for something, let's pay for something meaningful and let's make this happen and let's make a difference in this community, right?
0: Oh yeah, like you you know, it's like you use the word network and it t- totally t- works that way because it's like Metcalf's Law where you you know the brokerage house succeeds like they beat the ratios because like you said they have the agents and then then you know you want the agents to thrive so that absolutely. you as a brokerage house can do well as well so it only absolutely. seems to be like I guess very uncommon sense to, absolutely you know
1: help the agents out. Absolutely, right? And and then there's so much more, right? Cuz then we start getting into like market trends and where the industry's going and you know I mentioned we're very data driven. I think the world today is data driven. And one of the big things in the world of artificial intelligence and machine learning is data integrity. So, you know, when we look at the mortgage business, you know, what's important for us is is data integrity. So when we built our systems and our programs and our workflows for agents to use, we're looking at it from a data standpoint so that they can have opportunity in the future. We don't want our agents to be um, stagnant where, you know, I look at the industry today and, you know, some people are running their databases off of Google Sheets or Excel spreadsheets. Some of them have notebooks. Some of them have three, four different CRMs, you know, without that data integrity. You can't optimize and maximize the use of it tomorrow, right? We're not there yet today, right? Crawl, walk, run. But in order to to run, eventually, we're going to have to start walking. And walking is that data integrity and, you know, looking to the future, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things that um, our company says very much is that we want all businesses today and we encourage all businesses and business owners and leaders and even workforce, right, to look at the world today from the perspective of tomorrow right so it's looking ahead to see where are we going and what can i do today to help get us there right? And I use, um, you know, Tesla as a great example of this, right? You know, Tesla began years ago on putting together the pieces that they needed for eventually what is the self-driving car, right? Amazon began putting in the pieces for what is eventually the largest, you know, digital online retail space in the world today, right? You have to look at the world today from the perspective of tomorrow. And I think that's what we're doing in the mortgage industry.
0: Mm -hmm. And when you first started, though, you know you talked about the idea of yeah, you gotta crawl, walk, then run. And you know, right now, with 160 people in the network, you know you're you're definitely walking towards that that tomorrow but when you first started like the first six months when you were just learning to crawl yeah what, what was that like you know, you, start, you start i think you had like, what you said, like six to seven agents like in the first year like, yeah what, what we was had, that like we had, <laughs> we had six agents and
1: uh you know what we're we're, we're the best of friends today and uh, we learned a lot of lessons together right we, yeah. le- we learned a lot of what to do and more so what not to do so um you know what what was it like um it was the journey Right. It was the journey. So it was um, a lot of hard work, a lot of learning together, a lot of commitment, a lot of trial and error, a lot of is what we're doing right? Is what we're doing wrong? You know, we never roll things out um, to people um we'll, we're impulsive for ourselves both Kendall and I are a little bit but we're not impulsive to make decisions for other people so we'll test it you know we'll R&D we'll do all that kind of stuff right but um that's what the, that's what it was in the beginning so it was just a whole lot of R&D a whole lot of research a whole lot of analytics a whole lot of testing a whole lot of trial and error and uh I wouldn't give it up for anything <laughs> it was just it was part of the ride right and so when you started did you did you and Kendall kind of put a time limit on like oh if
0: we don't hit like this revenue marker by like a year or something, then we're just going to go back to being mortgage brokers, or we'll just kind of just, we have to make this work no matter what. Yeah,
1: we didn't, um, you know, that's, that was uh, something that we didn't say to ourselves. We didn't say that we need to make this amount of money. It was, it was all about the change for us. Um, And that's why I was really, really passionate about this business because it was something that was different. It was something where, you know, we made money, right. And we know how to make money. So if we have to go back to, to selling mortgages and becoming mortgage agents again, I can do it tomorrow and, and I can become very successful at it. But to us, it was all about that change. And, and we did see rapid change quickly. You know, six became 10, which became 20, which became 40, I think, after our first year. Right. Um, and then we brought on our first affiliate office and we launched the network. Um, and then we were we you know, we we're running technology on on spreadsheets um and then we built our own technology so we were we were always advancing um so you know what it's it's irresponsible for me to say um we weren't hitting targets we didn't have revenue targets but we did have markers Mm -hmm. of, of progress right and we were always hitting those progress markers in terms of evolving and innovating and creating change right and and even you know i look at our training from what it was then you know training back then was like You know, me in a room with four other agents kind of talking to them about the business and what they can do to succeed. Now we have a professionally curated training program, which is delivered online, which is delivered um, through their mobile app, which is, you know, recorded, which is, you know, delivered live in person. We have digital onboarding and we have um, the largest free actually online database of mortgage information you know right in the palm of our agent's hand. So when we look at these evolutions and um, I'm really enjoying this conversation cuz both my partner and I never actually stop to reflect. We just keep on going. <laughs> we hit milestones and we pause and high five and on to the next kind of thing. Right. So sometimes talking about it is uh, is a great way of reflecting back on it.
0: Yeah, and and so if we you know stay on this reflection train, what what was it like in like the very beginning like how how do you start? starting like a brokerage house yeah how do you recruit people like how what what was the process like for you and how did you guys map it out and what was the reality compared to the mapping
1: yeah so so um we started with that same vision statement that i gave you in the morning right so or earlier in this conversation so capital lending center is going to provide mortgage agents and brokers with the systems tools and support that they need to provide referral partners and clients with the seamless customer experience so everything we did from that point forward just had to relate back to that vision statement right? Um, So we have an idea. Um, We need to build a CRM because, you know, I attribute a lot of my success to CRM and Kendall had a CRM and we need to build a CRM because we can't have our agents paying for it like we did. So does that reflect back to that vision statement? Absolutely, right? Um, We need to build an underwriting center. Why? Because 80% of mortgage agents don't make it past their second year in this business. Why? Because they're spending too much time learning. We need to support them so that they can learn sales and we can support their deal process. Let's build an underwriting center. And then, oh, successful mortgage agents at some point in their career have to hire assistants because they get too busy. How can we alleviate that or how can we ensure their clients are receiving that same high level of service? Well, they can harness our same underwriting department. We just have to flip it a little bit and tweak it a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um agency and marketing support so it it all kind of began evolving like that very slowly right Mm -hmm. and um you know kendall has a great background um both entrepreneurial from a very young age from his teens as well as uh corporate leadership um throughout his 20s so he was definitely he definitely brought a, a tremendous amount of like management experience and and his gift is just knowing people like he can read a person and understand what they need and understand what they want and what they're thinking um you know i think one of mine is understanding market understanding trends understanding what's going to happen in economies and you combine that together and you know that that just slowly gets you where you need to go right Mm -hmm. slowly but surely so yeah it was the two of us doing everything at that time right so you know recruiting That was both of us. You know, we would call mortgage agents and talk to them about what we're doing and our vision and and where we're trying to go and what we can help them with today and, you know, we got one and then we got another. And then, you know, eventually we hired an administrative person that helped us kind of alleviate some of that workload from us. And she's now taken on the role, much higher role in our organization. She's a, a leader in our company. So it's great to see her evolution. Um, you know, then we hired, um, you know, we, our underwriting department grew from one underwriter to two, to three, to four, right? And then we hired a marketing support person. So, yeah, it was just really cool to see that, you know, we started doing everything hands-on ourselves and then as we were able to grow and and monetize all of it we were then able to bring on people to support it into what it is today right and so
0: far in this two and a half year journey like what has there been um like a particular kind of big obstacle that you felt like was like an inflection point where after you overcame it it, it just things became clearer like, oh man there's so many ups and downs so i'm just wondering was there like a particular like big one that you
1: worked? know um we face obstacles every single day, unfortunately, right. <laughs> like literally, literally, you can, like like name the obstacle. It was put in front of us, like, you know, right from the fact that no one's going to buy into a system, you know, where where you support the mortgage agent. We had companies tell us we wouldn't make it past our first year, like leaders in our industry, people that I actually look to for advice saying you're not going to make it past your first year. You know, you're you're starting a small mortgage brokerage at a time when large mortgage companies are aggregating. Um, and that's what was happening in that moment. right the bigger companies were buying out the smaller companies um just because of administrative costs and and they're like you're talking about giving stuff to agents like we can barely afford to survive today right and uh, i remember the first year at our christmas party um um during my speech i said that a bunch of leaders in this industry told me 12 months ago when we started that you know if you're not doing a 100 million dollars a year you won't succeed we hit 100 million that August and we closed the year at 160, right? So, you know, all those people, all those naysayers, we showed them. And then there's the politics of it. And then there's the technology obstacles. And then there's just the mindset obstacles that you face on a daily basis because we are doing things differently. So, you know, it took a long time for the industry to buy into what our systems and what our beliefs were, right? And, still till this day, like obstacles one day after another. And, and Kendall, if he was here, he would tell you the exact same thing. You know, our job is seeing that obstacle and figuring out whether we're going to go over it, under it, or around it, right? But 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 there's never something that we're not going to try to get past, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's just, we're too passionate not to.
0: And Shibab, as we are kind of wrapping up in the final leg of our interview, a question i, I like to ask all, all my guests is, if that 20-year-old Shabazz was to look at you right now doing what you are, so that 20-year-old, he's just about to start his logistics business and he looks at what you're doing running CLC, what do you think um, that Shabbat's emotional reaction would be to what you're doing
1: now? I think he'd be proud. Um, I think he would say that I'm on the right path, right? I'm on the right path. If, if this is the journey that I need to go on to get there, then I'm doing the right thing. And it's all about learning, and it's all about growing as a person. Self-development, commitment to your community, commitment back to the world. You know, we owe it to everybody around us to make a positive impact. And I think that Shuba would look ahead to this Shuba, um, and I'm 40 years old um, this year, and say, you know, you're on the right path. And I'm going to start it here. You catch up over there and let's carry it on to get it to 60-year-old Shuba, right? (laughs) Good one.
0: Do you wish you could, if you could, what kind of uh, advice do you wish you could have gotten uh,
1: or you could have given to yourself, like, when you were 20? Um... When I was 20, um, I was going through... like When I started that first company, a lot of it was because I was going through a tough time with the loss of my grandmother. Um, I lost her at the age of 14. I held her in my arms as she passed away to cancer, which drove me to a lot of the philanthropy that I do today. Um, I would say to myself to be strong. I would say that you know moments in life are moments in life. And life is a marathon and not a sprint. Because when you're young, you don't see that. You don't see when you're... 15 years old and you just lost your grandmother, the person that meant everything to you, that you still have another, you know, 80 years or 70 years of life ahead of you. All you see in that moment is just that this is dark and there's no future and there's no light. So I would just say that, you know, and to anybody listening on this call that's in that moment, just know that life is a marathon and not a sprint. So you just got to, you know, cry, you know, make sure you get through whatever moment you have to get through today but know that there's always an opportunity tomorrow. Awesome. That's a good one. And so as, as we close off the interview, is there anything that we didn't touch upon that you kind of wish that we did? Um, no, I mean, I think we covered everything. I think the only thing that I would add in is um, is the philanthropic part. And, uh, you know, I just because I owe it to my grandmother, I do want to make a note that, uh, you know, when I, when I was growing up from uh, the age of you know, zero to 14, you know, my grandmother raised me, she, she changed my diaper, she fed me, she played with me, she taught me, she walked me to and from school, she made my lunches for me. She was my shoulder, my rock, and my teacher, right? And um, you know, when she was diagnosed with cancer, when um, the summer, just before I was going into high school, so um, you know, it was a very tough moment, but what happened was we reversed roles. Um, So the person who cared for me my entire life, I began to care for her and look after her and support her. And when I was awoken that morning by my parents to come downstairs and hold her because she was passing away, um, I took that as a moment in my life when I look back today as kind of that, that, um, that time, right? Where now when I look back, that was the moment that made me who I am because that moment pushed me to making the world a better place because that's what my grandmother would have wanted. And all the morals and the values and everything that she instilled with me is what got me to where I am. It's what makes me who I am. And, you know, I'm going to do right by her from that moment to be able to provide for other people, teach them, guide them, and support them the same way that she did to me.
0: Awesome. That's, that's an amazing way to enrich that. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's my pleasure, Daniel. Thank share you. sharing your story. I, I, I really enjoyed our conversation and I definitely do hope that our uh, listeners get a lot of value out
1: of it as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time and for having me. No problem. Thank you. All right.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope the story was inspiring to you. It Hopefully it also helped you expand your perspectives Hopefully it also made you question the default path that you might have been going on or the default beliefs you might have had. And maybe now it'll make you even think about doing something about it, doing something different maybe, challenging yourself, being courageous, who knows. But regardless, I'm really happy that you took some time out of your day to listen to this fantastic story with my guest. And if you would like to somehow, in some way, contribute and help support the podcast and maybe even just be part of the community that i'm trying to build with the greater omd ventures platform really think about being a stakeholder in the platform and the quick way to do that is to go to my website oldmandan.com and go to the stakeholders page i believe it's oldmandan.com slash stakeholder and the link is also down below and that's how you can figure out how you can subscribe follow to get more updates on the free content but at the same time also donate and donate by actually just buying me a coffee that's just how i put it and you can buy me a coffee a month coffee a week or coffee every day of the year and think about it as the way that you know if you wanted to chat with me you might just bring me out for coffee and buy me a coffee or if you wanted to bring one of my guests out to chat you might buy them a coffee so i'm just think of it as i'm the service that's doing that for you so you can just pay me in coffees. (laughs) Don't worry, uh, everything will still be free. It's just, it would just really help if you would like to show your support this way so that I can use the coffee money to buy myself actual coffees and also to buy my guests actual coffees and use the leftover money to actually grow the platform as well as even keep it operationally alive as well because it. All this isn't really free, and it does take a lot of time to build it as well as operate it and hopefully grow it further. So your support would be amazing if you would like to contribute. And so, yeah, just check out the website, go to the stakeholders page, and read the different kind of benefits you might even get as a stakeholder. All right, thank you.